0: Hello, and welcome to Words of Wisdom, a podcast dedicated to reflecting on the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Your host is Dr. Jerry Weirwol, who will share life-giving truth from Proverbs that will help us become wise and discerning. Wisdom is a journey, and we hope you will join us for this exciting adventure. Proverbs 11.14 says, Without wise guidance, people will fall. But with a multitude of advisors, there is deliverance. Right away, we can see that the proverb is divided into two halves, where the first half explains one condition and outcome, and the second half gives a different condition and different outcome, and each of the halves of the proverb are contrasted against each other as indicated by the conjunction BUT. And so, this is a simple case of antithetic parallelism. Therefore let's look at each half of the proverb separately before combining them to kind of understand the proverb as a whole. The first half states that without wise guidance, people will fall. We're not told what this wise guidance entails, but without it, the consequence is that people will fall. Now, we have to do a little deductive work to figure out what the consequence people will fall actually refers to. What people does the proverb have in mind? And what does it mean for people to fall? Is the proverb concerned with people's personal safety? as in it's trying to prevent bruised and scraped knees caused by people tripping over objects that they're not aware of or didn't see? Well, I don't think that's quite what the proverb is trying to get at. Rather, in the context of the book of Proverbs, and in the biblical culture of the Old Testament, the term people was often used figuratively to refer to a nation. The figure of speech is technically called a metonymy, where a noun is used as an identifier that is like a label or a name, in place of another noun to which it holds some relation. In the present instance, people represents a nation because they are what make up the occupants and citizens of that nation. The figure can also work in a reverse manner, like in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 and 21, where it says, Then he, Jesus, began to denounce the cities in which most of his mighty works were done, because they did not repent. How terrible it will be for you, Chorazin! How terrible it will be for you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Here, Jesus is speaking of the people living in Chorazin, And Bethsaida, not to the actual cities themselves, that is, like the streets or or the buildings. But he uses the names of the cities as a shorthand reference instead of the longer and more wordy phase, those who are living in Chorazin and Bethsaida. For the last part of the first half of the proverb, people will fall, this is also figurative, referring to a downfall, as in defeat or destruction. When a city falls, it's a figurative way of referring to the collapse of its defenses, and thus it's no longer able to withstand enemy invasion. Furthermore, for a city to fall, it can also refer to the city falling into the hands of another power or authority, like an army or another king or nation. But this is another figurative expression that refers to the transfer of control or ownership like when objects are bought and sold in the marketplace, where the seller hands over an item, that is, puts the item into the hand of the buyer, who is now its new owner. Now, in contrast to being without wise guidance and suffering the consequences of being conquered and destroyed, the second half of the proverb says, with a multitude of advisors, there is deliverance. The Hebrew word translated deliverance can also mean salvation, victory, success, or safety. Assuming that the background context here deals with warfare, the meaning of deliverance or victory both convey the idea of being saved from conquest by invading armies and the ensuing destruction that they would cause. Therefore, the terminology in the proverb suggests the imagery of a king or ruler of a nation heeding wise counsel in order to make choices that will prevent them from being conquered and destroyed by an enemy army. A lack of wise guidance results in failure, that is, defeat. But with wisdom from trustworthy advisors, there is deliverance, that is, victory or safety. One reason why we can be confident that warfare is likely the appropriate background context for this proverb is that a similar proverb is mentioned in chapter 24 verses five and 6, which says, "A wise man is strong, and a person with knowledge grows in strength. For with wise guidance you shall wage your war, and with a multitude of advisors there is deliverance." Here in the second half of verse six, the exact same phrase is used from Proverbs 11:14 and where the first half explicitly mentions having wise guidance in relation to waging war. The reason for needing wise guidance in verse 6 is based on the premise given to us in verse 5 that a person with knowledge grows in strength. In order to be strong, militarily speaking, one must be well-informed. But it's not just information that brings strength. What is just as important is what one chooses to do based on that knowledge. So the benefit of a multitude of advisors is meant to provide both a wider breadth of knowledge, but also prudence and insight for how best to act according to that knowledge. In addition, another proverb that addresses the need to gain wise guidance or counsel in relation to going to war is Proverbs 20 verse 18, which says, Plans are established by counsel, so make war by wise guidance. In the ancient world, war was a common reality that nearly everyone experienced to one degree or another within their lifetime. And specifically, in regard to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, they were frequently engaged in warfare. After being rescued from slavery in Egypt and wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, They fought the Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, all the tribes of the Canaanites, the Philistines, their own countrymen in a civil war, and then later on the empires of Assyria and Babylonia, just to name a few. Regarding the applicability of Proverbs 11.14, the Old Testament scholars Kyle and Delich comment, but the truth of the clause in 14b is in modern times more fully illustrated in the region of ecclesiastical and political affairs. And in general, it is found to be true that it is better with a people when they are governed according to the laws and conclusions which have resulted from the careful deliberation of many competent and authorized men than when their fate is entrusted unconditionally to one or to a few. What Kylan Delacher is saying is that regarding the church and also with government, that things go better when it's done by careful deliberation of a group of people rather than when everything is entrusted to just one or a couple people. Moving on, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, it says, By a lack of counsel, plans are shattered, but with a multitude of advisors, a plan will stand. While the background context of warfare is probably still implicitly present in this proverb, it doesn't explicitly mention what the plans are that get shattered if there's a lack of counsel. This proverb can be seen to have a wider context dealing with any sort of preparation or strategic planning. However, the simple premise of the wisdom it offers is no different. Failure and defeat result from isolation and or ignorance. Not involving other people and not gaining vital knowledge about a situation does not promote or enhance the likelihood of a plan's completion or success. Now, I think that all of these proverbs have wider applications beyond warfare tactics and strategies and in particular, 1522, I think, this proverb really is applicable to almost any level or area of life where planning is involved. I remember thinking about the second half of 1522, with a multitude of advisors, a plan will stand, a couple of years ago when I was coordinating a large multi-church event called Converge that was going to take place at a location I had never been to, and in a different state over 12 hours away from where I was living. So, the first thing I did was I got help. I asked several other pastors and church leaders from the various organizations who were going to be attending to be part of a planning committee with me. I remember the incalculable amount of time we spent in meetings, discussing the details of every area concerning the event. We met almost weekly for nearly a year and a half, and while I was technically the chair of this planning committee, I knew I didn't have all the answers, not by a long shot. I also recall one of the lines I used most often in our discussions. After proposing an idea or setting before the committee a solution to a problem, I would almost always follow up by asking, so what do you think? Those were the magic words that invited their voice into the conversation. But don't get me wrong, some of the people on the committee were going to offer their opinion whether I asked for it or not. But in all honesty, I really did want to hear their thoughts because I firmly believed that our collective knowledge and experience was needed in order to make the event the best it could be. Heck, I would say I needed everyone's help and input even just to make the event possible. Well, in order to illustrate the wisdom that we've been talking about in these Proverbs, I want to tell you about Queen Elizabeth I of England and how she acted wisely when she ascended to the throne. It was November seventeenth, 1558, and Elizabeth was in Hatfield in Hertfordshire with her trusted friend, William Cecil, when news arrived that her sister... Queen Mary I, had died. Not long after the report of her sister's death arrived, a delegation of Queen Mary's counselors gathered where Elizabeth and William were, surely wondering what sort of future lay in store for them. The following account of what Queen Elizabeth I would do as she became the monarch of England is adapted from an article by the Royal Museums in Greenwich. Quote, In her first address, Queen Elizabeth I made a decisive start by asserting her inalienable right to rule, assuring those present that hers would be a consensual government. She also made it clear that the changes and job cuts to be made among her close advisors were not due to any fault of their own or out of vengeance, but from the need to streamline management for a more effective government. Elizabeth solemnly conveyed her intention to rule by saying, I mean to direct all my actions by good advice and counsel. And after outlining her intent upon becoming queen, she proceeded to build her privy council, effectively her royal advisory board. The following day, the queen met with the consultative committee made up of her own Protestant advisors and a few of Mary's Catholic ex-counselors, beginning the process of fusing the new with the old. The new team acted swiftly and efficiently, dismantling Mary's government and setting up Elizabeth's new one within three days of her accession. The new Privy Council was dramatically slimmed down from 50 people to only 19, as Elizabeth's goal was order and stability she opted for a more inclusive and cooperative model, drawing together the best of the old and the new to help her govern. The queen retained a number of counselors from Mary's regime, such as the Earl of Pembroke. Although Elizabeth didn't trust him, she felt he was too powerful to exclude. And since he had served under Henry VIII, Edward VI, and Mary I, he had a stake in the continuance of the Tudor monarchy. This strategy worked and Pembroke proved a loyal servant. Members of the new council were drawn from nobility, gentry, and business in a skillful mix of the aristocracy and the meritocracy. Notably, most of the clergy were dismissed, signaling that while religion would be a concern of the state, it would not dominate it. The new coalition council represented all the major religious and political factions in the realm and the experience they brought to the table balanced Elizabeth's youth and inexperience. To unite and lead this disparate group, it was essential for the Queen to make her expectations clear. She did this in her first address at the first official meeting of the new council on November twentieth, 1558. This is what she said. I give you this charge, that you shall be of my privy council, and content yourself to take pains for me and my realm. This judgment I have of you that you will not be corrupted with any manner of gift, and that you will be favorable to the state, and that without respect of my private will, you will give me that counsel that you think best. And if you shall know anything necessary to be declared to me of secrecy, you shall show it to myself only, and assure yourself I will not fail to keep taciturnity therein. In this passage, she charges them to commit themselves wholly to her and her realm, praises them for being honest and honorable men, and makes it clear that she expects them to remain so. She assures them that she wants them to tell her what they think, not what they think she wants to hear, and makes a pact of confidentiality. While she does not expect them to agree all the time, either with her or each other, She does demand honest advice and a commitment to give their best for her and the country. For Queen Elizabeth I, running a country was no small feat, and so having a trusted advisory board with counselors who would assist her in making sound decisions, which would affect the entire nation, is certainly a wise choice on her part. But we don't have to be the president of a country or even the president of a company to realize just how important it is to receive quality advice from others in order to make the best decisions possible. Whether it's about buying a house, being in a relationship, working with others at your job, raising children, or even just how to do your taxes, we all will benefit from receiving wise guidance from others that we trust. All we need to do is be willing to ask them. So, what do you think? This is the wisdom of the proverb. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Words of Wisdom podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be so appreciative if you would share this podcast with your friends. And if you have been blessed by this work, please consider supporting the podcast by clicking on the donation link in the description.